Well, good morning. Uh, Glad you're uh, joining me this morning at 10 o'clock. I decided to try a little bit different time, a little bit earlier time uh, this week. And we'll probably stick with this 10 o'clock time for a while. Uh, But glad you're here this morning with me. Or uh, if by chance you're watching this later, uh, glad you're taking the opportunity to... um, read and or uh, visit here with me. I got to turn my phone down. I forgot I had it in my uh, lap here. I am looking for uh, uh, chats or something. So if you uh, have a question or a comment during this time, uh, during the live stream, go ahead and just chat me. I'll be watching this or you can text me as well. Uh, trying to do a good job of keeping up with that. But we're continuing on today with our study through the Bible and how to read our Bible with more intentionality. Again, basing much of what I do off of uh, Tremper Longman's book, Reading uh, the Bible with your heart and mind. Uh, so this is just a good study, a good way to look at how we can uh, understand our, our Bible a little bit better by understanding the different kinds of literature that we've looked at. Uh, over the last several weeks, we've looked at history. Uh, we've looked at the law. Last week, we looked at poetry. And this week, we're going to look at wisdom literature. So basically, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Again, you can find wisdom type literature uh, in other books as well, but those are the the primary books in the Old Testament where you'll find it. So let's open up the word of prayer, and then we'll dig into our study together here this morning. Father, I come before you right now, and I do want to thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity we have to be gathered here via live stream uh, or being recorded where others can watch it. We thank you for this capability because, Lord, uh, you are going to speak and and work through this. Your word tells us that uh, your word will never return void. And so whenever we can read it, study it, uh, learn it, and especially live it in our lives, it's going to make an impact because of who you are and how you work in and through what you've provided for us. So help us as we study this portion of Scripture this morning, as as we study this type of literature that you've given to us. Uh, You have given us such a varied Bible uh, in in how it is uh, given to us, the different kinds of literature, and that speaks to all of us in different ways. And I thank you for that because you are the God of, of all things, all of creation. And so I pray that as we study your word together here today, that this won't just be an academic study, but this will be truly a, a an opportunity to connect with you in a deeper and greater way as we seek to live more for you this day and every day. It's in your son's most holy name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this. And as we think about wisdom literature, just a quick question to start. Uh, What is the difference between intelligence and wisdom? And there is a there is a difference. Uh, intelligence, uh, if you break it down, is basically the ability to learn, uh, how, the the opportunities you have to to be able to take in information, to to be able to process information, and be able to uh, keep that information in in your head. So intelligence is the ability to learn, whereas wisdom is the ability to use that intelligence to take and do something with what you have been given. Uh, and so when we think about wisdom literature and scripture, uh, that's really what I want you to, uh, to kind of th- think about and focus on this morning is really the skill of living. Um, probably the best known uh, of the wisdom literatures is the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've been studying that or we're studying that together uh, in our connect groups on Sunday nights. I know that got sidetracked a little bit, so some people uh, weren't able to do as much with that as others, but Proverbs is probably the most recognized uh, book of the Bible that contains wisdom literature, but uh, you can also put in the book of Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, 
Uh, of course, three of those uh, were written primarily by Solomon uh, or uh, people that took Solomon's writings and, and compiled them for him. Uh, but uh, that's what we'll find, uh, the, the wisdom literature. Uh, and so uh, when you think about wisdom, when you think about a what we're talking about in, in Scripture as far as wisdom literature, it's the skill of being able to uh, take and apply the knowledge, the experience, the, the common sense, the insight, and the understanding that you have in very practical ways to the way that you live your life. So again, I'll, I'll, most of my examples, biblical examples today, uh, come from Proverbs. We'll have some others from Ecclesiastes and from uh, Job as well. But um, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 tells us this. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you do, get insight. Even Solomon was pointing to the the fact that uh, you need to get the the information that you're being given, but get that insight into that information so that you can take that information and do something with it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11 tells us this, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So when you think about especially the book of Proverbs, but uh, the other wisdom literature as well, that's at the heart of what the intent is there. It's to encourage us to take and... uh, what God has given to us and actually apply it to the way that we live our lives so that we can truly experience life in the way that God would would have us to experience it. So a couple uh, things to think about when we think about studying uh, wisdom literature. Uh, The first thing that really stands out to me is that we have to distinguish between principles and prescription. whether these things are what, what we're reading is laws and commands uh, or promises, or whether they are general principles to live by. Uh, let me give you a, a quote from Trevor Longman from his book. Uh, he says this. He says, we can't achieve wisdom by learning a list of rules and regulations that work in each and every circumstance of life. The wisdom of the Bible presents principles of godly living and advocates a mindset from which we can apply them. It takes a wise person to know how to apply the principles. So when we consider wisdom literature, uh, it is really dealing with principles of how we live our lives. We can get ourselves, quite honestly, into trouble if we try to make them a prescription that uh, that this is going to work uh, in every situation exactly the same way. Uh, let me give you a couple uh, examples or a couple ways that Proverbs brings this out. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23 tells us this. Uh, he sa- Solomon says, to make an apt answer is a joy to man and a word in season how good it is. Uh, the, the principle that's being applied applied there is the ability to evaluate a circumstance, evaluate a situation, and be able to respond in an appropriate way. And different circumstances require different uh, answers to them. Uh, so often we, we, we think about uh, children and how different children are growing up in families. And you can have the same set of parents with basically the same environment for each one of those children. And yet the way parents work with from one child to another is going to be different. Uh, the same thing may have happened or a similar situation may have happened, but how you treat one child may 
may be a little different than we you treat another child, depending on the circumstances, depending on the situation, depending on how the child is and, and who the child is and all the things that go in with it. So it, sometimes it's, it's good to have a hard, fast rule or to have a rule to go by, but you have to know the principle behind that rule in order to deal with it. So Proverbs says, to make an apt answer is a joy to man. It's a, a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs chapter 26, uh, verses 7 through 9 tells us this. Like a lame man's leg, which hangs useless, is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is one who gives honor to a fool. And then verse 9, like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. So here, uh, what Solomon is dealing with here, he deals a lot with fools and foolishness uh, in the book of Proverbs. And what he's talking about there is that sometimes you can speak a word of truth into a person's life, but if they're just not going to get it, they're not going to get it. Uh, uh, a lame man's leg, they don't work, they hang useless. Uh, well, that's the same thing that's going to happen if you give a proverb to a fool, if somebody that's not going to use it, somebody that's not going to do anything with it. Uh, so uh, you may have truth, but how you give that truth and when you give that truth is going to look different from one person to another. And here's where Proverbs really deals with this uh, and, and speaks to it. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what these two Proverbs say. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to a folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Well, it depends on the circumstance. It depends on the person you're talking to. Uh, you've got to have the wisdom to know, is this the right time to say something and try to correct this person, or is this just the time to let it go and, and not deal with it? So here in Proverbs, you have two Proverbs back-to-back -back that look to be contradictory, one saying, don't answer a fool according to his father. Folly. The second one saying, answer a fool according to his folly. Well, again, it depends on the person. It depends on what the circumstance is. And so when we think about wisdom literature, you can't just take a hard, fast rule and say it's going to be the same for every person, every place, every circumstance, every time. Uh, that may not be easy to comprehend and think about, but we need to understand that that's how we have to approach wisdom literature. Uh, again, wisdom literature is not meant to be used in a very hard, mechanical way. Uh, here's one. In fact, uh, this came up in our study in our Connect group on uh, Sunday nights over the last couple of weeks. Uh, when we start applying some of these rules in a hard, fast way without really thinking through what they're saying, we can sometimes get ourselves into trouble. And the one I go to often because I've uh, had to talk to people uh, about especially this particular proverb, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. We're told in this proverb, it says, train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, when you read that just on the surface, I've had a lot of parents come to me that have had wayward children, uh, children that have drifted off and gone different directions, said, what'd we do wrong? You know, where, where'd, we, where'd we fail? And again, I will honestly say there's no perfect parent, so, uh, you know, Nobody's going to be perfect in raising their, raising their children. There's certainly, there's always going to be times that we would like to go back and say, well, I wish I could have done that over. I wish I'd said that differently. I wish I'd uh, done something a little different there. We, we all understand that. But if you take this, if you've done a good job of training your child 
and raising them up, giving them every opportunity to be in church, to be around uh, biblical teaching. If you've done your best uh, in your home to represent Christ uh, and to point that child in the direction of Christ, and then when they get older, if they choose to go a different direction, this verse isn't there to say that you were wrong and you you did something wrong. This doesn't say that the, the Bible is wrong. It just this is a general principle of given that the majority of time when you raise a child up in a godly home, then he's going to follow that path. Uh, there are plenty of children that have been raised up uh, in homes that were not godly and that they fall on a godly path. And so it works both ways. And so this verse isn't meant to be a verse that you hold fast and strong that if you raise your child up in church that they're there's a guarantee that they are going to uh, never depart from it, that they will always be godly in, in everything they say and do. But in a general principle way, yes, that is true. And so we should be seeking to raise our children up and train our children up uh, in godly ways uh, and praying that God will lead them along that path and that they won't depart from it. Uh, let me give you another example. This one's from the, the book of Job. Uh, I preached through Job, I guess, several years ago. Uh, and one of the things that I found interesting when I uh, studied through the book of Job, I started taking all of Job's friends, all the things they were saying. Uh, really, the best thing they did was they showed up and they sat with Job and didn't say a thing for a week. And that was when they did their best ministry. It's when they opened their mouths when they got themselves into trouble. Uh, and you've got uh, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and then toward the end of Job, uh, Elihu kind of jumps in at the, at the very end. And if you just take, if you, if you were to just take and read what they said, don't don't take the responses uh, that Job has to them, and don't take what's at the end. But if you just were to pull out of context, to pull out their their speeches to Job, uh, their times when they sought to counsel him, they weren't wrong, but they also weren't right. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Uh, this is Eliphaz's first speech to Job. Job has been suffering. He's lost everything. He's lost all of his children. He's lost his home. He's lost his uh, cattle. He's lost his finances. His wife's there. His wife's actually said, just, you know, curse God and die, you know, just, just get it over with. You know, he's lost his health, everything. I mean, he's just in a miserable situation. I mean, life is just taking as hard of a turn as it possibly can. And then we know from reading Job that uh, Satan has come to test Job, and God has allowed that test. So Job hasn't done anything wrong. Uh, it wasn't that he was sinful. He wasn't being punished for some action on his part. This was really just a test to show that Job was a faithful, honest, and righteous man because that's who he was. And so for a week, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar just sit with Job, but then they start talking to him. And this is from Eliphaz's first uh, counsel to Job. And, and listen to what he says. He says to Job, "'Remember, who that was innocent has ever perished, or where were the upright cut off?' As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. Now, if you just take that out of context, I, we would agree with that. If somebody's guilty of something, God says that they're going to be punished for that. Uh, eventually, they'll be punished for that. Sometimes they live in that sin for a while, uh, but eventually there will be a, a punishment for that sin. For the wages of sin is death. There's going to be punishment ultimately for our wrongdoing. So Eliphaz was right 
in what he was saying here, but he was applying this to Job. And he was saying, Job, you have seen the loss of your children. You've seen the loss of your finances. Your own wife has turned against you. Uh, your health is uh, at the breaking point. You know, all these bad things have happened to you. And, and this was the theme throughout Job, all of these friends talking to him, is Job, bad things happen to bad people. So just admit the bad, admit the wrong that you have done, and maybe you can get right again. But Job knows in his mind that he really hasn't done anything wrong. He never claims to be perfect. He never claims to be sinless. But he knows that it's not a result of his sinfulness is why he's facing this punishment. He doesn't know why. In fact, he's never told why that he faces this. That's one of the unique things about Job as well. But the point being here is that we can very easily do the same thing if we're not careful. Uh, we can see somebody going through a very bad situation, uh, a, a very difficult situation. There's nobody that suffered more greatly than, than Job suffered uh, for, for no reason of his own. And we could uh, do some of the same things that these friends did. And we can say, well, you know, it's because of your sinfulness. That's obviously the reason that that has happened. So we need to be very careful uh, when we take uh, what God has said and what God has done and apply it in a way, a very mechanical way, a way that we don't really understand all the circumstances. We have to realize that God knows more than us. And there are sometimes people like Job that are even righteous, good people that suffer greatly, not because of their sins, but for some other reason. Uh, and so, like I said, that, that goes back to that training a child up in the way he should go. We can beat ourselves up and say, well, we did everything right, but so there must have been something wrong with us, and that's why that happened. Uh, no, you may have done everything right, but there may be some children that just choose to go the wrong path. Uh, we see that uh, oftentimes uh, in life. And so this wisdom literature, when we look at it, be very careful about uh, applying these things as uh, axioms that are, that, are, that are absolutely true in every single situation. That's not why they were given to us. Ultimately, what we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, where is the source of wisdom? Where are we going for our wisdom? Are we going to worldly wisdom? Are we going to the, the, the ways of the world? Or are we going to go find wisdom where it ought to be? Again, another example from Job toward the end of Job or toward the middle of Job, Job chapter 28, verses 20 through 24, uh, we're told this, from where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. So what Job is telling us here is that wisdom comes from God. God knows and understands wisdom. God is the creator of all things, of all people, of all creation, of everything that we have. He truly knows everything. Uh, there really is a, a great danger in thinking that finite man can ever fully understand an infinite universe and God himself. Uh, that, that ultimately is one of the, the sins of pride. Uh, it was at somewhat at the heart of what Satan uh, tempted Adam and Eve into when they took that fruit. Uh, the, the third of the temptations that uh, Satan shared with Eve was that if you take this fruit, basically you can be your own God. 
You'll know God. You'll know good and evil. You'll know all the things that God knows. Now, that wasn't true because they didn't know everything God knew, but they did understand what it meant now to be disobedient. They did, they did understand evil. They did understand uh, rebellion uh, because they chose to walk away from God's truth and sought to do their own thing in their own way. Uh, so there's always a real danger when we as finite human beings start thinking that we can know everything God knows. I actually heard uh, a video clip once of Richard Dawkins saying that, no, man doesn't know everything now, but basically in, the, in this quote, he said, but eventually we will. You know, look at how much we've learned up to this point. Look at how much we've understood up to this point, how far man has come and how much more we've understood. And I don't disagree with that. It's amazing uh, the technology that we have. A uh, hundred years ago when the pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic was going on, churches couldn't do what we're doing here today. To For me to sit in my office and be able to teach uh, a lesson, uh, looking at a camera and you getting this lesson either now immediately or in the future, that wasn't possible a hundred years ago. Uh, imagine all the different things things that, that have happened and in, in the technology and the way we've progressed. But there's still so much that we don't know and can't know and won't know. Uh, yet there are some people out there thinking that it's just a matter of time. We'll evolve enough to where we know everything. Well, we're not going to get to that point, and it's, uh, we, we get ourselves into a very dangerous position when we do that. And so when we think about wisdom literature, wisdom literature isn't necessarily given to us so that we can know everything so that we can become our own gods. But wisdom literature is given to us so that we can know God and understand him better and be able to serve him better, to be able to understand how to live this life in a way that will be pleasing and honoring to him, to bring glory to him and bring good to him, which ultimately brings good to us. So ultimately, when we think about this wisdom literature, wisdom literature helps us to put life into perspective. And these are, let me give you three things, three attitudes that we need to have for that to, to take place. Uh, the first attitude is a respectful fear of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, love Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 says, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for you must first believe that there is a God. So you've got to have this respectful fear of God, that, that God is out there, that there is a God who created this universe, that out of nothing, he created something. Uh, not only did he create something, but he sustains it and keeps it going. And so we have to have a respectful fear of God for his power over eternity, for his uh, power uh, in keeping everything going. So it begins with that, is knowing that there is a God and knowing that we must serve that God. Secondly, the second attitude is not only a respectful fear of God, but a willingness to pursue God. Just because you respect, may respect God or fear God, are you willing to pursue God? Are you going to seek after Him in His ways? So it's that second step to not let idols, to not let other things get in 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 your path, in your way, between you going to God. Uh, and so wisdom literature, if it's going to make sense to us, we've got to believe that there is a God, and we've got to have a willingness to say, God, I want to understand you and what you want me to, to know. And then the third is finally a desire to follow God, not just fear God, not just pursue God, but then to truly do what God tells you to do, to be obedient to him. 
in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon says, basically, he said in his lifetime, he tried everything uh, to find pleasure and meaning in, in life. And one of the themes throughout uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is that meaningless, meaningless, you know, vanity, vanity. Uh, there's, there's no sense. There's, there's, there's nothing that totally makes sense in this life. And he says, I've tried everything. And nothing in this world is ultimately under the sun. Nothing under the sun is going to find me, to give me the satisfaction I need. And so these are the concluding words to Ecclesiastes. This is how Solomon sums it all up. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So Solomon's words of wisdom to us is not to seek our own personal gain, uh, but to seek and pursue God. Uh, if we will fear him, keep his commands, be obedient to him, then we're going to find the fulfillment in life that we're looking for. So let me end with this this morning. Uh, get, let me give you some, some uh, words of wisdom to, uh, to read wisdom literature. Uh, first and foremost, and this goes for any type of literature, but it, it very much applies here to wisdom literature, is make sure you read God's Word in light of the context. Uh, we can get ourselves into danger when we start plucking a verse out and making that verse uh, a life verse or something that uh, we're, we're going to uh, totally uh, focus on and nothing else if we take it out of context. So you start with the verse level, but then also look at the verses around it. Look at what, what's being said around that verse. Uh, look at the book that it's coming from. Again, Proverbs is, is a book, and there's a lot of short, pithy statements. Uh, sometimes they're uh, combined with, with several others, so you have some continuity there, but oftentimes when you're reading Proverbs, it just goes from one statement to another statement to another statement. It may, you know, a chapter or a book or uh, somewhere later, it may say something very similar again uh, in a different way. Uh, so you've got to read when you're reading wisdom literature and in, in any literature, make sure you know the verse, but then also to look at what the passage is saying, know what kind of literature it is so you can understand it, uh, and then look at it in the scope of, of all of Scripture. And when you're looking at it in the scope of all of Scripture, ultimately what you're looking at is how um, does this apply to, 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 to God's work in eternity? Genesis starts with creation. Revelation ends with recreation. Uh, God saying that, yes, sin came into the world, but this is how I'm going to ultimately fix it. And so all of Scripture does revolve around God and His salvation plan through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we read it in that context. So make sure you're reading that wisdom literature in that context. Secondly, uh, remember the rules of poetry from last week. Just real quickly, uh, slow down, uh, meditate on what you're doing, and unpack it. And part of that unpacking is looking at the context and, and looking at it in light of other scripture. But it's hard to read a lot of uh, uh, wisdom literature with just a real quick reading. Uh, you need to slow down, think about what it's saying, why it's saying it, what the author was trying to get across, uh, and then unpack it by looking at uh, the context and what's happening with it. Thirdly, uh, ask yourself, especially in wisdom literature, what does this passage require of me? Uh, we'll go back to that passage, chapter um, Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a 
train up a child in the way he should go, and he's old, he will not depart from it. Your responsibility as a parent is to do your best to train up your child in the way he should go. If you do that, you'll have a very good possibility that your child will follow that right path. Um, it's not a guarantee because children can make their own choices. They do. But that passage requires of you as a parent to do what you can to be obedient and faithfully follow God uh, and, and serve Him. So what does this passage require of me? And then fourth and finally, uh, recognize that even in the most practical bits of wisdom, um, there is going to be a, a potent theological statement. There's going to be the power of God in that statement. Another quote from Tremper Longman, not from the book that uh, I've been reading uh, to do this, but uh, a, a book that he wrote, uh, How to Read Proverbs. And this is directly to Proverbs, but really it's to all of uh, wisdom literature. He says this, Proverbs is so much more than a collection of well-crafted insights into living. It is a thoroughly theological book confronting us from, from the very beginning with the most fund, fundamental of choices. What is or should be the driving force of my life? Will I enter a relationship with wisdom or folly, with God or with idols? A particular choice faces the Christian reader. In light of the New Testament's teaching on the nature of wisdom, is Jesus Christ the epitome of God's wisdom at the center of my life's decisions and actions? That was a good way to end this on looking at literature, uh, wisdom literature, is to ask ourselves, which direction am I going to go? God's giving us an opportunity as we read and study His Word to make a choice. Will we believe and trust in Him, or will we follow our own path? Will we go the way of God or the way of folly? Are we going to serve Him, or are we going to serve ourselves? Are we going to make God the center of our lives, or we're going to make an idol the center of our lives? And then ultimately, looking at it in light of Jesus Christ, are we going to let Jesus Christ really truly lead and guide our lives in everything we say and everything we do? I hope this has helped some on, on looking at wisdom literature. Again, uh, if you're not sure of what type of literature you're reading, if you just read it uh, and without understanding it, sometimes you can get yourself into trouble. Uh, but when you read it in light of the right context and the right way, God is going to speak and God's going to move. There's great truth in wisdom literature. That's why God gave it to us. My prayer is that each one of us will learn the skill of living life as we learn to live out God's Word in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I come before you right now. I thank you for giving us all of your scripture, giving us this wisdom literature, and I pray that we'll read it properly, that we'll read it in a way that brings glory and honor to your name. Help us to read it in light of what we know this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, of how you work and how you speak in and through us. Thank you for allowing us to be able to read your word so we can know you and follow you faithfully. It's in Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen.